This is episode 16 of the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast with Ami Kunimura. You know, the day came for me to leave my job and that was a really hard day. And although I was so excited about the travels that I had coming up, I was so sad to leave. And there were some of my clients who were crying too. And I was just, I was felt so heartbroken. And that surprised me because I felt like I couldn't wait to leave. But when the time actually came to it, I was reminded at the very end there how much I love my work. And that was a really good way to sort of start my burnout recovery. You're listening to the Music Therapy Chronicles, a podcast about music therapy from a variety of perspectives. Our ambition is to inspire and connect listeners through meaningful conversations, just like a music therapy conference you can listen to anywhere. My name is Trisha Kayati, and I am a board-certified music therapist from the New England region. If you like what you hear, join our group on Facebook and share your own insights and thoughts about the episodes. You can also connect with us on social media and online at Music Therapy Chronicles. Welcome back to the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast. In this week's episode, we have part one of my conversation with Ami Kunimura, uh, I didn't initially intend for this conversation to become a two-part series, but Ami was so open with sharing her journey through burnout. Uh, And then by the time we got into our self-care discussion, I realized like, oh my goodness, like this is a lot of audio to put out in one week. So I broke it into two. Tune in next week for her feedback and answers to my questions about self-care. But for this episode, we talk about Ami's journey through burnout and how she worked through burnout at different stages of her career and how she found self-care and the importance of self-care. So hopefully this helps some of you who may be experiencing similar situations or similar feelings without being able to identify them, kind of like what she experienced. If you're enjoying the podcast and feel so inclined, please rate us a a review on iTunes. It helps this podcast be more visible. And again, I'll read a review at the end of this episode. Also check us out on all the social media platforms at Music Therapy Chronicles. And if you or someone you know is interested in being on the podcast, please send us an email at feedback at musictherapychronicles.com and we'll hopefully get something scheduled. Please enjoy this conversation with Ami Kunimura. Welcome to the podcast, Ami. Hi, thanks so much for having me on, Trisha. I'm really excited for our conversation today. So to get us started, can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yes. So I've been a board certified music therapist for 13 years now, and I'm also the founder of the Self-Care Institute. So at the moment, I have sort of two careers going on at the same time. This has sort of been happening the past few years for me. Um, I have 
cut back on my clinical work and my private practice has um, intentionally gotten smaller so I can pay more attention to the self-care institute. But um, right now, that is my working life is, you know, um, it's mostly supporting other professionals who are experiencing burnouts and who are experiencing high levels of stress but um, also running my music therapy private practice on the side. And um, this journey has been a really interesting one. Most of this has come sort of by surprise for me, especially becoming a music therapist. It wasn't something that I knew about when I was in my undergraduate work and, um, you know, becoming now the founder of the Self-Care Institute, that also came as a surprise for me. So my career trajectory has been a pretty interesting one. And, um, you know, back when I was in undergraduate, I was studying psychology and I was on a career path to become an optometrist. And now at the time, again, I didn't know what music therapy was. I honestly wasn't sure what I wanted to do with my life, with my work, with my career. But um, my dad was an optometrist and I had worked in his office during the summers. And I thought, you know, looks like a pretty good job. Looks like something I could do. It was, he was providing a good service to his community. And I sort of just picked that career option because I wasn't sure what to do with my life. And so um, in, I think it was like year two of being an undergrad, I declared a psychology major and a biology minor. And so that set me up to prepare for optometry school. And um, when I was a senior and getting ready to graduate, I decided, you know, I don't want to go into optometry school right away. It would be nice to just take a year off and work before, you know, diving into that and, you know, making a little bit of money and getting a break from education would be nice. And lucky for me, my microbiology professor at the time, um, he asked me what I was going to be doing. And I told him, you know, I'm thinking about applying to optometry school and, but I want to take off a year and work. And he said, you know, I have the perfect job for you. I thought you do. And he said, a colleague of his, um, runs the Jewel Stein Eye Institute at UCLA. And she was looking for a research assistant. And he's like, you know, would you want me to recommend you for the job? And I said, yeah, I had nothing really lined up at the time. And also lucky for me, he also hired one of my friends. Uh, so both of us got hired as research assistants at UCLA. And so right after I graduated, I was able to start working. And I felt really fortunate because this was a job that I thought was going to be in the field that I was working in. And the woman who ran the lab was a pretty big name in optometry. And she was a really good boss to have too. She was an extremely intelligent and accomplished woman. And I thought that was really inspiring. And so this was in May of 2001, when I graduated. And so I started working in this research lab and, you know, doing really cool things, or it felt cool at first. And I'll one of my primary jobs there was isolating DNA from human blood samples and getting the DNA out so that um, the other lab researchers could go and sequence the DNA or do whatever they needed to do with it. And so it was so fascinating at first, but I did find working in a research lab wasn't 
very much in alignment with my soul or my personality. Just the environment of it was just so sterile and cold and everyone just kind of kept to themselves. And um, it was also like in the basement of this building and it started getting a little depressing after a while. And again, this was 2001. So um, a few months later, September 11th happened, and that felt like a very big wake-up call for me and waking me up and not in a way that felt really good, where it got me just sort of in touch with my own mortality and other people's mortality. At the time, I was like 21, and you know, I felt like I had all the time in the world and so did my loved ones, but you know, it kind of just put this seed in the back of my mind that, you know, life is finite and we have the time that we have here and things will happen that are out of our control. And those thoughts become very scary to me. And it sort of sent me into like my first adult, like existential crisis, where I really started questioning myself. And I specifically started questioning my decision to become an optometrist. And it became very clear to me that I just chose it because it was sort of just a default for me. And I thought that's not really a good enough reason to choose the rest of my life. And so these questions that started coming up in my heart um, really started making me depressed because I wasn't sure what else to do. And so the depression that I was feeling led to insomnia and anxiety. And, you know, this was also sort of my first experience, you know, dealing with um, some mental health issues and having to face this. And so that though, fortunately led me into therapy. And this was my first experience in seeing a therapist and trying to talk things out with her. And it felt really weird and awkward to me, but that support was necessary at the time. And, you know, one thing we figured out together was, you know, I'm not sure if I want to be an optometrist anymore, but I knew that what I needed to do first was get a different job because just the work environment wasn't healthy for me. That I think was contributing to the depression that I was feeling. I needed to be just a little bit more out in in the world. And so um, I remember the specific day of, you know, on my lunch break, going to the UCLA library and getting on one of the computers and doing a job search. And one of the jobs that came up was for a music therapist. And I thought, well, that's interesting. I've never heard of a music therapist before. I thought, maybe I can do that job because I had my degree in psychology and I could sort of play guitar at the time, you know, not really well. One of my friends taught me how to play guitar in his dorm room and I could play some like Blink-182 songs and had an electric guitar. But, you know, I didn't know what a music therapist was. I thought maybe I can just go, you know, apply for the job. But the more I read through the job description, I saw that they're looking for board certified music therapists. So I thought, okay, well, how would I get board certified for this job? So then, you know, looking online, I did this sort of dive into what music therapy is. And I found out that a lot of music therapists get their bachelor's degree in music therapy. And this board certification is a pretty big deal takes a long time. There's a, you know, the national board exam that you have to pass and all that seems so overwhelming to me and really discouraging because I had just graduated and I didn't want to go and get my bachelor's degree again. And 
I could also, I wasn't very confident in my musical skills and I didn't have a lot of musical skills. So I thought, okay, I just can't do that. It's not something that I'm able to do. And so I sort of like shelved it in the back of my mind and, you know, continued on my job search, not finding anything. But it was one of those thoughts that just kept coming back to me. And especially, you know, when I was falling asleep at night, it would just come back to me like music therapy. And like, it was just calling the coming back. So I would, you know, go back on my computer and I would say, okay, if I was to go back to school, I don't really want to, but if I did, what would that look like? And so um, I was living in LA at the time and I did some, just some searches on um, music therapy programs. Um, there I found one at Cal State Northridge and I found one at Chapman University. But um, the interesting thing about Chapman University and their program no longer exists, unfortunately, but they had an equivalency program. And so I got in touch with their director at the time, Kay Roscom. So I emailed her about, and I told her my situation. You know, I just graduated. I'm don't really want to get another bachelor's, but I'm interested in music therapy. And so she emailed me back and she said, you know, why don't you come down and talk to me? I said, okay. So um, I remember the day I went to go talk to her. I went to my car and my um, my, rate, my stereo was stolen out of my car. And so I had to drive there like in silence. And I was like, okay, now I'm really like, like, I didn't look at it as a bad sign. I looked at a sign like, this is really showing me how much music means to me. And at the time, I, again, I wasn't really like a competent musician, but I was one of those like really obsessed music fans. And I was living in Los Angeles and going to concerts all the time and, you know, following these bands and like going on their websites and message boards and talking to people. And so that was my love for music at the time. And so I went and drove down to Chapman University and met with Kay Roscom. And I remember one of the first things she told me after I explained myself to her and told her about myself. And she looked at me and she said, you listen to music with appreciation. And she when she said that, I felt so heard and so understood. And then something just like locked into my heart. Like I felt like sitting there in the room, I was where I was needed, I needed to be at the time. And, you know, she was really honest with me that I would have to work really hard in order to become a music therapist because I didn't have the music skills that a lot of the current students had. But she said, you know, you can like go get some private instruction, like start this week. And she said, you know, you can enroll in our equivalency program where I wouldn't have to get another bachelor's degree, but it would allow me to take the music therapy courses I needed there. And then they would help um, set me up with an internship and then eventually take the board certification exam. And so um, I went home and thought about it. And again, it was like this signal from my heart that I just knew that was for me. And I'd never felt anything like that about doing something. And while it was really scary for me, it was so exciting at the same time too. And that's how my music therapy um, studies got started. And I did what she said. I jumped in, I got private lessons. You know, at the time I'd never like sang before in front of like other people. I didn't 
really know how to play piano. So I did have to work really hard. And it took me a few years to get my coursework done and get my music skills up to par. Um, it was quite a bit of sacrifice at the time. Um, I had to really dial back on my social life and I ended up moving to Orange County to be closer to school so I wouldn't have to commute. But all the while, it felt so worth it that I was working towards something. And I finally had a dream that was like really resonating with me. And that felt so good. And so I, um, I initially had this thought in my head that I was going to be a music therapist. I thought it'd be so fun to like work with kids and, you know, sing kid songs with them all day and make kids smile and laugh like that was a picture in my head of what music therapy was. But when I started doing field work placements, I found that working with children, it was, well, not what, it wasn't what I expected, but it also felt very tiring to me. Something about it felt really tiring for me. But when I did my field work placements in other like facilities, like in like a mental health hospital, that felt really energizing to me. And that was really surprising to me too. And so when it came time to do my internship, um, I did my internship at a long-term mental health rehabilitation facility, and oh, I had such a great experience. I had an excellent music therapy supervisor, and I was her first intern, so we kind of got to figure out the my internship together of what this was going to look like, and I loved working with the clients. So I got to do music therapy groups there. I got to do individual music therapy. And that became um, sort of what I ended up specializing in. And again, that sort of came as a surprise to me. But looking back, I can see how my personality just fit in a little bit better in those places because I could use my more introvert superpowers of, you know, being a good listener and sharing my presence with someone and being able to be reflective. And I also love the more depth work of music therapy, going into those emotional places and talking about, you know, the meaning behind things and, you know, going back into some of the, the working with the client's past, present and future all together. And so um, after my internship, I was lucky enough to get hired at the facility I was working at. Um, unfortunately, they paid really, really low and it wasn't a therapist position yet. And so um, I ended up just a few months later getting hired at another um, psychiatric hospital. And this hospital, I really loved working there. So I got hired full time as an adjunctive therapist, but um this is where I felt like I really got to let myself shine as a music therapist. And this is where I learned so much in just a few years. And so I was working on the trauma unit of this psychiatric hospital. And the trauma unit was, it's, it was divided up into three different programs. So there was the trauma program. And most of the clients in the trauma program were um, women who have experienced trauma in their lives. So either um, experienced sexual abuse, rape, psychological abuse, emotional abuse, physical 
physical abuse, and they were dealing with disorders such as dissociative identity disorders, having uh, multiple personalities or trauma-based disorders. And um, I was also working in their eating disorder program, and they had a sex addiction program. So my job was every day I would do a music therapy group with each one of those programs. And I absolutely loved it. Because again, it allowed me to really dive deeper into their process, get into the emotional content of what they were dealing with and the emotional content of the music. And although I loved working there, um, a couple years in, I found myself just getting really tired and emotionally drained. And to me, this was a very confusing experience because again, I really loved my job and I felt like I was a good fit there. I loved the team I was working with, but yet at the end of the day, I would feel drained. And by the time Friday would come, I mean, I was just so exhausted. I couldn't really do anything or I'll just go home and, you know, go to sleep really early. And, you know, I was like in my like mid to late twenties then I thought, you know, I'm still pretty young to be feeling this way. I thought in the back of my mind, I always thought of someone experiencing burnout was an older professional who was just tired of their work, who didn't like it anymore. And so it didn't occur to me that that's what I was experiencing. And then another frustration I had at the time was, although I love my work um, and I was pretty happy with my life situation, you know, at the time I was single, I had my own apartment, you know, I just bought a new car and, you know, I felt like I finally like reached this milestone that I was searching for for so long where I had my dream job, you know, I was able to live independently and, um, and that came with disappointment. And I didn't understand that. And the disappointment I was feeling was, for one thing, like I had all these things in place, but yet I wasn't making enough money to save any money. So I did sort of feel like I was just like walking on this treadmill that it wasn't getting me where I wanted to go maybe after that because I couldn't save money. I had like two weeks of vacation a year and that didn't feel like enough. And again, my my job was really draining my emotional resources too. So it was like, you know, feeling financially stagnant, feeling emotionally drained. And those two together um, just felt really frustrating to me. And again, very confusing because I didn't understand that what I was experiencing was burnout. And so, you know, I kept toughing it out. I thought maybe, maybe this will just pass, but eventually it just start, started getting worse. And I really started questioning myself. Like, do I have what it takes to be a music therapist? Does this mean I'm not cut out for this job? Like maybe I'm really just not good enough or I should go work somewhere else or should I look for a different career? Like maybe I should have been an optometrist. Like all these insecurities started coming up. And, you know, what I started realizing was, you know, I think I need more support right now. And so first I joined a clinical supervision group at the hospital where I was working. And um, there weren't any other music therapists in this clinical supervision group there, but there were other therapists. And there was a excellent psychologist who was running the supervision group and he could kind of see what was going on with me so he invited me to the group and he said you know why don't you just come and sit in if you have a question you can ask it but 
it was so valuable to just even sit in the group and see what kind of questions the other therapists were asking him. Like things that were really vulnerable. Like, you know, this client reminded me of my mom and how do I work through these kind of things? And like, those are things I wasn't really thinking about. And it allowed me to bring up questions too about um, either the burnout I was experiencing or, you know, working with a different difficult client. And that provided me with, you know, a certain level of awareness of what I was experiencing. And then that awareness sort of led me into going back into my own therapy again. And so I asked that psychologist who was running the group, I said, you know, um, would you have a referral for me for, just for my own therapy so I can start making sense of, you know, my own life. And um, it was also a good time in my life to be in therapy and exploring who I was at the time. And so he gave me a referral. And so I went back into therapy. And, you know, as I started to look at my experience, you know, what I really realized was what I was doing, I, although I love my work, I really enjoyed the trauma work, but the 40 hours a week at um, inpatient psychiatric hospital just wasn't working for me. It was, or that was too much. And that didn't mean that I wasn't good enough. It just means that the demands of that certain position um, were just too much for me at the time. And, you know, again, at the time I was single and like I had all these other things I just wanted to do. And I remember there was a music therapy conference coming up and it was going to be in Seattle. I think it was our regional conference. And I um, thought, oh, maybe I should go to the conference. But when I priced it out with the airfare and hotel and the registration, like it was like thousands of dollars. I thought, oh my gosh, like for that much, I could like go to Europe. And I was like, why don't I go to Europe instead? And so I did, I did that instead. And that just gave me the biggest travel bug and this huge sense of wanderlust. And um, I remember taking like, I went on a tour of um, of London and England, of London, England, and then we went up to Scotland. And when I came back, I just like, I need to leave again. And I was like, I need to figure out how to travel. And I knew I couldn't do the travel I wanted to do with the work that I was doing. So again, I only had two weeks off, um, you know, each year. And I thought, you know, I felt like travel was going to be like my medicine at the time. I felt like that's what my soul was calling for. And it was a hard decision to leave my job and to like really I took about nine months off of work to travel and reset myself and this took a lot of planning so this wasn't like something I just decided to do right away and jumped right in but I planned it out what I did first is I moved out of my apartment I moved into the spare bedroom of my aunt and uncle's house and they were so generous to take me in I um, slept on their couch for probably a good six months. And that allowed me to save money a lot faster than I could um, on my own. And um, I also did other things that weren't exactly the most healthy thing to do if someone was experiencing burnout, but I took any overtime shift I could. But I felt a little bit re more rejuvenated because I had this end goal of I, I had a certain amount of money I needed to save up because I calculated everything of how could I not work and travel and see what I want to see and not be too worried about money. And so um, that's what I did. I worked really hard. Um, you know, I got 
um, I was living with my aunt and uncle. And that was also nice, too, because it was nice to live with sort of a family again. And they were able to, you know, be there with me at the end of the day and have dinner with them. And I felt that was healthy for me, too. And, you know, the day came for me to leave my job. And that was a really hard day. And although I was so excited about the travels that I had coming up, I was so sad to leave. And there were there, some of my clients who were crying too. And I was just, I was felt so heartbroken. And that surprised me because I felt like I couldn't wait to leave. But when the time actually came to it, I was reminded at the very end there how much I loved my work. And that was a really good way to sort of start my burnout recovery. And I remember telling myself as I was driving home that last day of like, you know, I love my work, but I need to also love myself too. And I need to do something for myself and I'll be better for them when I can come back and a healthier person with a healthier mindset. And so what I did was I first went off to Europe for six weeks and, you know, I was traveling on a very low budget. So I was staying in hostels and I had certain friends I would meet up with at certain times. My brother was studying abroad in France and saw these places to visit and people to see and things to experience and eat. And um, I really started to feel like myself again. And I mean, the first two weeks of traveling, though, every night I would dream about work. Some were good dreams, some were bad dreams, but every single night I was dreaming about work. And so it was kind of a sign to me. Once those dreams started tapering off, I felt like, okay, I can get my head more into my own life and start thinking about what I want. And then after six weeks in Europe, I went um, to go visit my parents in Hawaii. I spent six weeks with them, and that was kind of just a little more restful, more relaxing type of vacation. And then what came after that was my biggest travel experience, and I went to India. And so I signed up to do a yoga teacher training in India, and this was a residential training. So I lived at an ashram for one month. And did a yoga teacher training. I wasn't intending on being a yoga teacher. I loved yoga. I've been practicing yoga for like 20 years now. I just wanted to learn more. And I really wanted to do the training for my own personal development. And going and living at that ashram, that was my first experience with really like structured and regimented self-care. I know that before that, I really thought self-care was like what I do in my free time or what I feel like doing or what's fun or like, you know, travel or like getting a massage or taking a bath or something. Like I thought that's what self-care was. But when I went to live at the ashram, I realized that, you know, self-care, it takes boundaries. It does require a certain amount of self-discipline going out of my comfort zone. And so at the ashram, we would do things like, for example, we would have to wake up at like five o'clock in the morning. The first thing we would go is go into the main hall and do some chanting. Then we have our breakfast, do our yoga. But it was this very structured schedule that we had. And I really enjoyed that because I felt like I needed that structure 
to really dive deeper into what I was experiencing. And um, one thing we got every day was two hours of free time. And because everything else was planned out and this two hours of free time was really nice because um, I bought a guitar in India because I thought I'm not going to live at this ashram for a month and not play any music. So I bought a guitar and I made a friend at the ashram and the two of us would write songs during our during our two hours every day. And that helped me get back in touch with my love for music. Because again, I was like this very obsessed music fan. And that I felt starting to slip away as a burnout was coming in. And, you know, getting back in touch with myself as a musician and playing music just for myself, writing music for myself, that felt so good. It was like rekindling this love that I had sort of lost touch with or not maybe not completely lost touch with but I I guess I lost touch with that spark that initially drove me into music therapy and so we ended up writing these songs together and um, I was supposed to come home after the ashram after yoga teacher training but what I ended up staying a little bit longer we found a recording studio in India to record our music the songs that we wrote and then I ended up traveling around India with my friends for another month and that to me was my biggest lesson I've had in learning to just let go and go with the flow. India itself is a beautiful and magnificent place. It's full of contradiction. It's full of pain and struggle, but it's also full of spirituality. And um, traveling through India helped me just let go of I'm a type of person who tends to worry a lot, but it helped my brain just not attach to that worry mindset so much and go with, you know, whatever was happening on a given day. And it helped me appreciate the life that I do have, the life that I was born into. And so I felt like I was able to come back home with a greater appreciation for just life in general. Um, more being more connected to my own spirituality and then also coming home and being ready to work again. And so I came back and I was lucky enough to get rehired back at the hospital that I was working at full time, but they rehired me as a per diem worker. So I could choose my shifts instead of working 40 hours. And so that allowed me to start a private practice. And so I was working per diem there and my private practice slowly grew. As my private practice grew, I could cut down on my per diem hours. And eventually I went more full time into private practice. And I love that because it gave me the opportunity to um, set my own schedule. I had a lot more freedom. I could take vacations more of when I wanted to. I loved working for myself. I also loved working with different types of populations and, you know, having some times where I could work from home and do more administrative work and then be with my clients. And it just felt more well-rounded to me. And that was a better fit for my personality. But then um, a few years into running my private practice, sort of that burnout feeling started coming back on again, where it felt like that that heaviness again. But this time, what I did to to address the burnout was I what I felt in that 
sort of time in my life was insecurity, where I was starting to feel sort of insecure with my own skills. I think I was definitely having this imposter syndrome of, you know, am I good enough to be running a business? And um, so what I did was I went back to school to get my master's degree. I got my master's from St. Mary of the Woods College, and that set me up with, um, you know, for one thing, a nice support system. My cohort had eight other music therapists in it, and we became a very tight-knit group, and their support was something that was really meaningful to me. And then to be back in education again and learning was, it was just so satisfying to my soul. I'm a really good student. Like I learn well that way in structure and having assignments and deadlines and things to read. And so I love that learning environment. And it was hard to, you know, run my private practice while getting my master's degree. But I felt that it balanced each other out really well for me. And it helped keep my motivation up to keep going as far as running a business went because um, I felt a little isolated in running my own business at times. And that helped it helped me just feel more connected to the music therapy community. And then when I came, when it came time to write my thesis for, for my master's degree, I decided to write my thesis on burnout and self-care in the music therapy profession. And part of it is for my own research of, you know, I wanted to understand better what I was experiencing. And um, I had the you know, I had an inkling that I wasn't the only one experiencing these things. But as I dug into the music therapy research, I realized I really am not the only one who's experiencing these things. But that burnout is an issue in our profession. There is research out there. And what I realized was there was already enough research about burnout at the time. And I thought, you know, I think it might just be more useful and helpful to the profession. Maybe if I didn't conduct new research, but what if I took all the research that already existed and made a self-care guide for music therapists and made the research just more digestible and accessible to people? So my thesis, um, I call it Resilience Over Burnout, a self-care guide for music therapists. And so I compiled this whole... What, so my thesis originally looked like a paper and um, it was just an organization of, or it really looked like a literature review of the burnout research in the music therapy profession and related fields too. And so after I graduated, I just, I thought, you know, I'm not going to let this thesis just sit in a library and do nothing. Like I worked really hard on it and I felt like it could help people. And so I self-published my ebook, uh, my my thesis as an ebook, and I rewrote it so it didn't didn't read like a boring thesis. And it had workbook exercises in there, and it had very actionable items for music therapists to do if they were feeling burnt out. But it also provided education on what burnout looked like in the music therapy profession, the risk factors we need to be aware of, how to recognize burnout. And really what I created was something that I really wish I had when I started, um, not only when I started feeling burnt out, but before I even became a music therapist. And so um, I self-published this as an ebook on my website, um, harmonyresource.com, and people started buying it. And um, what was surprising to me, though, um, was how well 
accepted. It just got right away. I thought I would have to do like a lot of marketing and all of this and that, but I didn't really have to do a whole lot at first. And what eventually happened was the readers of my ebook started contacting me for more support. And, you know, it did provide a good base for them to learn about burnout, but they wanted more individualized support. And so I realized, okay, maybe I should open my private practice now to working now with other music therapists. And so I called my service self-care coaching for music therapists who needed support with their self-care. And so I started getting coaching clients and, you know, coaching these clients and helping them through their burnout um, experiences. And then what this led to was create an even bigger program because then my private practice really started filling up. And I thought, you know, it'd be so great if I could just get all these people together who are experiencing burnout and have them talk to each other because I found myself repeating myself to my different clients too. I thought, you know, what if I could like record myself and it could also even be more affordable too for people to join more of like a group coaching program or something. So that's when I developed my 31 CMTE credit program. And this is also called Resilience Over Burnout, but this is a self-care program. So it's an online program with eight modules. And this is a super duper deep dive into what self-care means for us and what burnout means for us too. Again, it's 31 CMTE credits, the really long program. It's self-paced, but it allows music therapists and other helping professionals to come together to learn about what burnout is, what self-care is, the different dimensions of it. And most of all, I think one of the biggest things it does for us is to help us not be alone in in the experiences of burnout. And one of the biggest struggles for me through my career has been feeling alone when I was struggling with something, either struggling with maybe you know, a difficult client or struggling with feeling frustrated with my work. And especially when I was in private practice, I was feeling so isolated, like driving around in my car. But for us to come together and realize we're not alone in what we go through and that there is support and that, you know, burnout doesn't necessarily mean that we're not enough or we're not good enough or that we have to change careers, but that first it sort of means just, just we need to go inward a little bit and give ourselves some compassion and love, the same kind we give to our patients or clients, and that there is support available for us. And I realized I just like talked a long time about my story led to all this. But but again, like I said in the beginning, this has all sort of come as a surprise to me where I've gotten now. And my career has sort of looked like just rolling with, you know, what's going on in my life, but also... Um, paying attention to the needs of my community and seeing what's there and filling any holes that might have been there and providing the support that uh, our community needs, but also doing that in a way that um, suits my personality and the way I like to work too. Yeah, I think your story is really beautiful and it will help a lot of people to hear, you know, whether they're going through similar stages mm -hmm. or whatever.
hearing that story helped some of you out there who are experiencing burnout or feelings of just tiredness and not really sure what to do next. And I hope you can relate to some of the things she talked about in this episode. And hopefully it gives you some validation, I guess is the right word, for what you're experiencing and maybe some ideas for how to work through it. In next week's episode, we go more specifically into self-care, ways to use self-care in your daily life between sessions. And Ami also tells us about the resources she has created for self-care for any helping profession, but specifically music therapists. So as promised, I will read a review from iTunes. This one's from Millet138, and it says, Great new music therapy podcast. Happy to see a music therapy podcast that is regularly publishing content. Thank you. I'm working really hard on that, so I'm glad that you're enjoying that aspect of it. Guests are diverse, and the topics meander naturally into interesting spaces. Worth a listen for all MTBCs and people interested in music therapy. And that comes from Chris. So thank you so much, Chris, for writing us a review. I'm glad you're enjoying the regularly released content in my meandering conversations. I would say that's a great way to describe my vision (laughs) for this show. If anyone else out there feels so inclined to write a review on iTunes, I'd really appreciate it. And if you're looking for another way to support the podcast, please check out our Patreon page and consider pledging. Um, This stuff isn't free to produce and put out into the world. And so it's nice to know that people are enjoying it. And that's just another way you can support the content that's coming out. All right, that's it for this week. Tune in next week for the remainder of my conversation with Ami, and I'll see you then. Mm -hmm.